Hello, and uh, welcome to the MTR Network. I'm Haroja Scheib. I'm joined by Joseph and Parrish. And we're here to finish out the Star Trek Picard uh, season. Uh, we're going to review episodes 7 through 10. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of the Star Trek news because of we're blaming it on Rona. And uh, a little game called Mass Effect. Uh, before we get into everything, um, how did everyone feel about Star Trek Picard, the wrap-up here? What a time to be alive. That's all I got to say. What a time to be alive. I, that last battle, or what was threatening to become a battle between the Federation and the Romulans. Jesus. I, just, wow. Did, did you uh, think, did you get upset there wasn't a battle, or did you want a battle? I'm happy with what I got. I okay. just, you see almost 300 Romulan ships and almost 300 Federation ships in a, you know, in a stand, uh, in, in a stand down. It doesn't matter if there's a battle or not. Like just the, the epicness of what we're seeing. I, that was amazing. It was very amazing. And it was very like, oh my God, this is going to really happen. But it didn't. It didn't happen. But it was like very tense. It's like probably the most tense space battle I've seen in Star Trek since probably when the Dominion were going to come through the wormhole. Uh huh. And I never thought anything was going to top that. Yo, I mean, Kurtzman is uh, uh, giving us the best Star Treks of, of our lives. And it's unfortunate that the world is ending and, you know, that's that, but come on. This is I just wow. Not only that, but they had like basically like space monsters with the, the orchid flower stuff, which was very unique and different. And the Borg showed up. I mean my god, there was like everything people like the haters are complaining about how they weren't going to a new planet. There weren't any like Space battles. We got all that in like the last four episodes. Well, I'm sorry that the haters actually have to think about the show that they're watching. You know, I, I apologize for that. But the rest of us are having a good time. I apologize for nothing. We can go pound sand for all I care. All we're doing is moving the goalposts. Hey, why didn't we plan? We plan. He left the planet in episode three. Hey, where is he? Where is, where are they? Why we treat him like he's, 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 well, he's scatterbrained. He's 90-some-odd years old. Why would you, we talking because he deserves it. All those, all those things. And they addressed each of those issues in each of these episodes, like episode seven with uh, meeting, you know, the real Deanna Troy <laughs> at the fake-out. <laughs> Um, at Nepathine and the consequences of Picard's decision, like not really being there to to advocate for the sense, not saving the Romulans and being called out on that. Uh, his way he treated Soji and kind of like using her, uh, he got read for filth by Deanna Troy. 
and deserve every yeah. second of it. Yes, and he got read by Riker too. And Riker called him out like a little bit about like, you know, hey, she's kind of like a kid, dude. What are you doing? You don't know how to do this <laughs> at all. And it was just it was done very well. It was done within like the how the characters, you know, have progressed and in the way that they are in their lives at this point, but also the history and the dynamic of their relationships. And it was important. It was necessary. And you saw a shift in the way Picard started to becoming more of the Picard that we've known in the past, but also acknowledging a little bit about the, the significant errors that he's made. Um, but Joseph, what, what did you think so far about the season? Um, I think it wrapped up very well. Um, I also think it wrapped up exactly how it was how it was supposed to wrap up. I mean, the with the introduction of the the Golem Ex Machina in episode nine, you know that was that was that was okay. So someone's going into that. Who's going into that? Oh, Picard just had his little his his thing. Oh yeah, he, Picard's going in there next. But despite all of that, I, I enjoyed it. it. It didn't bother me at all. I enjoyed the Bolivian standoff between the Federation and the Romulans. Would have liked to have seen more ships, more detail in the Federation ships, but, you know, whatever. Um, it was good to see Riker on the bridge of a, uh, of a Federation starship again, so that was great. Yo, my man still look good in the uniform. Yes, he does. He's sharp. He's sharp. I, I yeah, and not only that, but they, it it kind of there was a parallel to like some of the memes going on about how like the the Riker there's like two moves that Riker the character does like go taking his leg over a chair and the whole captain lean that he does in, in the seat and he was still doing that and there there's like comparison shots this is this is Riker saving your ass again Picard doing that lean and it was just it was beautiful and in their moment where. Riker was like, yeah, I came to here to kind of save your ass, dude. You're you're my friend. <laughs> I mean, I knew I was going to be coming, but, you know, just waited for the phone call. They called me. I went. Here I am. And um, I, too, would like to have seen more details of the, the various ships, but um, I'm happy with it. Maybe there will be an explanation of why they all kind of look very similar in season two, but. Yeah, I mean, so I I was, you know, one way to think about it is that um, they had to, like you said, they've had a lot of things going on in the Federation. They had to like quickly go into production. So if they're mass producing ships. Yeah, they are like kind of cut and pasting the ships and it could also have been like the rona um i know <laughs> a lot of the production stuff last minute um for a lot of the stuff might have been like they couldn't do it so much and it could have been a budget issue i mean they put a lot of money in um this show and i would say they probably only kind of had really only two bottle episodes but there has been like a lot of set pieces a lot of effects especially like whatever was what is this Dr. Dr. Girardi called them the Uber Sids? Like Cthulhu monster looking dudes that were coming out of the portal. 
uh, was pretty detailed. I mean, the um, orchids themselves, yo. The, oh, the orchids are so gorgeous. I want an orchid figurine. I want an orchid, I don't know, Lego set, battle action figure. I want, I want one that opens up and just like gobbles shit. I would like one. And just like they had like the twins, like the synths. Like all of them were like not all of them, but a lot of them were um golden like data with golden eyes. And still had the board too. Can I say just say that I thought um they were gonna actually bring the board game as bad guys, but I'm kinda glad they didn't because that would kind of been thrown uh thrown in the face of the XPs. So I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, well the other thing is that um, they're still on the planet. Are they still on the planet, or did they activate the other Dexamaka device, the the portal from Voyager, the the uh, Zinthi transporter? Did we huh. don't really know? They kind of wrapped it up pretty neat. Like, are the XPs with the other sense? Are they is that their planet now, where they can be free, or did? They do like a last minute thing because I would imagine Seven be like, okay, we need to destroy these board, this board vessel. How do we do that? Like, did they, right. did they dump a bunch of ramen and stuff on that? I mean, we don't know how they quite wrapped it up. They kind of put everything in a bow, but um, I'm hoping like, ah, the XPs, man. Should we talk about episode seven about how what happened went down there? Because that was just, ah, so sad. Mm-hmm. So sad. Um, like Hugh died. Like he's like, you know what? I've been trying to do the right thing, but these people are monsters, and yeah. we're taking the shit back. Yeah, it was it was sad to see Hugh die. It was sad, but it seemed like the appropriate ending for the character because he was like, it seemed like he was the only advocate for the XP, really. And he was taking that little bit of power that he had, and he was trying to do the right thing. Um, but that that Ramina Nisra, she was like, "Now I can kill you because you said you're going to start a rebellion," and she did. Ugh, she's my favorite villain right now. Oh, not not Agent Carter. Uh, yeah. He does look kind of like Agent Carter. She does. Yeah, she looks a lot like Haley Atwell. Uh, She's missing a couple of things. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But she has, like, a villain walk, and I just feel like she has this, like, chaotic energy anytime she enters the room where I don't know what she's going to do. Like, who she's going to do. She She, yeah, the... She she did his cheese tape. I was Peyton there. List. Uh, let me look up the name. Peyton List. Yes, and I've seen her in a couple of things, but she excelled here. Yeah, she was in. She did a few episodes of The Flash. She played um, Golden Glider, Lawrence Nuts' sister. Um, she had a show Frequency that was on CW Network. I, I think it was. I think it was. Oh, I'm not familiar with that show. Yeah, because it's based on a movie, right? Yeah. A very good movie. I've never seen it. Never seen either. I recommend. I recommend the movie. The movie's good. Okay. I mean, we got plenty of time, so yeah, we do. So yeah, and it seemed. I know they try to like 
justify the Romney's actions. And we'll talk a little bit about that because I found it very interesting. Because there's this thing where people can hear the same thing, the same message. Like, for example, I'll say a red apple is delicious. And then you guys can have two completely different takes on that statement. And that seemed like what that synth message was. Where the, the robbers are like, oh, they're coming here to annihilate everyone. And the, the synths are like, oh, they're coming to save us. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there is a middle. But she's still evil, okay? She's evil, evil, evil. And she, she tried to kill Picard. She killed Hugh. She tried to take out Seven in a very mean girl way. Oh, yeah, she was real petty. And I just, oh, she was super petty. She was like, oh, you would be so beautiful, but it wasn't for all that board crap on your face. Mm. <laughs> mm. And she, oh, you had a happy birthday. What did you get for your birthday present? Oh, your parents got you assimilated. Bah. I, I know she's not dead. I mean, she probably like transported out or whatever, but. She did. Ugh. She did. She had to. No, she didn't be dead, though. I, I, I wouldn't lose much sleep. <laughs> I wouldn't lose much sleep, but I think she's such a, an interesting dynamic character. She's such a wild card that I, I would hope that she would come back in some capacity. But uh, she is my new favorite villain. Uh, she's highly intelligent. She's very well motivated. Uh, she, even though she's evil, her actions are extreme. You can kind of understand, like, if there is this thing out there that's going to annihilate everybody, you're going to have to take some extreme measures. But I, I don't think the Romulans went about this the right way. And it's clearly shown by the fact that they've been kind of defeated. What did you all think? Joseph? I'm sorry, what was the question again? I'm, uh, I blanked out uh, for a second. Sorry. Yeah, what do you think about like how the Rhymelands went about trying to stop, I guess you can say, the end of the universe? Um, they took a few drastic measures there. I mean, there are a lot of different things they could have done. Um, but, you know, Rhymelands went for the secret of Rhymeland as they do, and almost brought about the end of the universe as we know it. Not only just went secret, secret, like double, double secret, but like they built a segment of their society is built around this, this thing that they found. The, these eight planets that were moved by a civilization for a warning. And it turns out that civilization were the sense. And, you know, they didn't bring anybody else in. They didn't say, hey, Klingons, hey, Federation, there's this message on this planet. Where if we quit this path, we're all gonna die. They're like, no, 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 no. We'll just we'll just kill everyone and anything that does anything remotely like that, even our own people, which is what that Mars attack was. Which makes me wonder how the supernova happened. Hmm. I did not think I did not think about that, but that's a good question. Like did some because it supernovas just don't happen they even talked a little bit about that on the movie and the in the show i mean they did get a warning because it takes time for the 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 supernova to happen but like 
was it deliberate? Was it a neglect on the part of the Romulans? You know, did somebody do that? You know, was it sent that did it to their planet because they know the Romulans were trying to come after them in a way or something else? But the fact that the, the Zabati sacrificed their own people for this cause, I wonder if that's going to blow back onto the fragmented, you know, Romulan society. That would be interesting to see because, you know, that is, you know, that is something I never thought about. What forced that the, um, the, their son to go supernova? I mean, because these they it usually takes like millennia for something like that to happen. Um, like a lot of millennia. Uh, but for some reason, that one just decided up oh, this time. So it would not surprise me if. That if it went supernova because of an experiment that went wrong, experiment that went wrong, experiment that went wrong, or a deliberate act like sabotage. But the whole like we've seen a little fragment of the the Romulan society where there's like Romulans first, and then there's a new government, the Romulan Federation, or Free State. So if People are already butthurt against the Federation and Picard for not being fully rescued and being abandoned. What's going to happen to a society that finds out that a, se- a segment of their society prevented the- those ships from coming to them? I mean, are we going to see a Roman civil war in season two? Because there's no way the Federation or even the Jabot can keep what happened um, at that planet a secret. That's going to get out. They can't. I think your Roman Civil War would be, if it's done well, would be fun to see. I think, I think yeah, I think that, I mean, because there, it looks like there's like multiple plot lines going on. So I think adding that to, as a layer of the things going on, like I, yeah. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, and it would be very cool. Uh, we there's there's a lot of stuff that like kind of got tied up, but not completely tied up. That allows for plot development for season two. Like for example, uh, Commander O is now outed as being the head of that secret order. So the Federation has to deal with the fact that they had basically a Romulan mole running their security. Um, the whole Mars synth stuff, like the synth ban, has now been lifted. What does that mean for the people that still like lost their loved ones on Mars? Are they going to be happy about that simply because maybe the Romans were responsible for causing the sense to go rogue? But the, you know, if it was my loved one, I'd be like, I don't care if the Romans did it. The fact that this machine, you know, because since they're still con- are being considered others, if you will, not people, um got hacked and got rogue what prevents someone else from doing that again i mean there's a there's a lot see i don't i'm not entirely sure that this will will get out in that way i mean eventually you know it may come to light but i i I have a feeling that the federation is going to do everything they can to suppress this okay so what would be the consequences of suppressing oh it's gonna be a problem because the whole can Oh, the whole contention, and I think when, they, during the two-parter, and I think it happened in the, the the last episode, episode 10, when Picard was being held, Soji was telling, reading Picard for Phil, and I, I didn't like his take on it, but 
she was like, you guys decide, you know, what we do, how we live, whether we live or die. We can't live like that. You guys made the decisions. We have no say on that. And I was like, yes, slave rebellion. Yes, you're a person, you're a whole. And Picard was like, yes, but you're letting yourself be governed by fear and neutrality instead of acknowledging what she's saying. Like, yes, I know you're right. But Soji, you can't, can't kill everybody. <laughs> I mean, he kind of got to that point, but I wish somebody would say that, yes, sense our people. And that's where Since we are, you know, real. And that's where we get to Mass Effect, because like when Soji asked, when Soji asked, "Am I a person?" She said something like, "Am I a person?" I immediately thought of Mass Effect and was like, "The answer to that question is always yes." yes. The answer is always yes. Yeah, I mean, even um. What was the name of Riker and and Troy's was it Kester? Uh, child? Something like Kesta, that. Um, Kesta. Kesta. Yeah, Kesta. Yes, she was. She was. She fully accepted her as a person. Like no question of it. She was just. She was just like, oh, you're an android person. Cool. And just like asking her like little things, like how you know Data would have done things of being a child. Uh, 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 you know, kind of a human android, but at no point when she was questioning Soji did she question her reality or her realness. Only the fact that she can boss her around because she really technically she's three years old. I mean, that's it. And that's like a kid perspective. But even Picard asked that question when he came out of the golem, like, is he real? And the first fear question he had was, did you make me immortal? Because he didn't want mm-hmm. that. But I understand how making part the card into the golem and you have a human that is now in a synth body and how that might be a, a good way to talk about the synth issue. But I still think they're avoiding the big, the big, the big joker on the table is slavery. And they address that in Measure a Man, but it seems like they haven't really resolved the issue within the Federation on the concept of, you know, personhood, mm-hmm. which you would think as such advanced society, they would have done so. Well, that just goes to show you that even the most advanced societies really aren't as advanced as they make themselves out to be. This is true, which goes back to the question, um, which I always have this issue when they talk about androids and sense and sci-fi, like, the sense were like the reason why the organics attacked them was because they're immortal and they'll live forever and the organics got jealous. But I just, me personally, I don't want to live forever. And even Data talked about it as he was asking Picard to let him go out of that quantum singularity during the, the final episode to finally let his conscious or soul, if you will, no longer exist. About the butterfly always being a butterfly, if it lives forever, it stops being a butterfly. Like, I wouldn't, I don't understand how that would be a conflict. Like that's okay. So you're made to where you're not breakable as easy as I am, but I'm okay with that. That's just how you are going to exist. And you're going to have to figure your way around that. But I don't think in actuality sense are completely or truly, really immortal. But I just, I've never really understood why people would be jealous of that. Yeah, I, I think they I think there's more than one one 
way to tell a tale. So we, what we got was the story told by the this this federation of of, of synthetic or- organisms. They may have rational rationalized that this is that humans were jealous, but we haven't heard, or not yeah. humans, but organics were jealous. We haven't heard from the organics because the organics are gone. So I mean, it goes mm-hmm. back again. It goes back to Mass Effect. So, um, we we hear the story from the Quarians that the Geth threw them off their planet. We hear the story from the Geth, and it, it's it's a little bit different. Um, you know, it starts with a Geth saying, "Does this unit have a soul?" Again, the answer to that question is always yes. It's always yes, and I I don't understand what the struggle is with that. And I kind of like how with this season of Star Trek Picard, they're dealing with a lot of issues that are very reflective of our society about, you know, otherness and the status of people within society, what their place should be and should not be, and how far they're supposed to go or not go within that society. And reconciling your inactions and actions of that issue and i hope they kind of carry the themes on into season two but i really i i kind of want them blatantly to talk about this as the concept of more about the personhood less about picard being the synth golem thing but more overall like with the xbs and uh the sense in, in the society and addressing that issue because that's just the one one calm I have about this season of them just not explicitly saying that this is slavery. This well, is I mean, I just I see it as you know this season is just the it is just laying the foundation for things to come. So I I, I was kind of fine with that. Um, I think if handled properly, Picard becomes sort of the avatar for those ethical decisions. Yep, I was just about to say that because who better to recognize, you know, since being an actual live entity than someone who was a human and is now a synth himself. It was also a Borg. Exactly. Well, he really is one again, but hasn't he? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he is. He's a threefer. I think I would have just rather just stayed dead. I'm good. You don't have to bring me back. All right. Thank you, though. Well, so here's the other ethical consideration. He had no agency in that decision. Nobody asked. Nobody asked Picard That's if he true. wanted to come back. No, but they didn't let him know what was happening. So he could have chose to stay. Could he? Okay, maybe not so much. But I mean, the door was open. He didn't have to. Walk Could he? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I, I'm trying to be hopeful, but you're right. He didn't have agency. They just kind of did it to him. Um, which is kind of. And I out. think that that's gonna that's gonna come back. <laughs> I think we've established a Girardi, and um, we haven't even talked about this soon. This new soon that we we met. Um, this other son of. The, the creator of data and war, um, not a very ethical people, and neither was Bruce Maddox. Really. He introduced himself as mad um, scientist. 
<laughs> Basically. And I, I thought the okie doke was he's going to be lore in organic form, but I guess not. But, um, yeah, so, but then again, Kari could have chose to, like, you know, I lived a life. I thank you for what you were trying to do, but that was it. But I could also understand, like, oh, I got a second chance in life. My heart is not a machine and my brain thing is working. Okay. <laughs> but you're right. I think that has to be addressed. And I also think the fact that um, Girardi did kill Bruce. Oh, that definitely needs to be addressed. Like. I understand that she got mind warped a little bit, but if someone violated my mind by showing me this message, if you will, of destruction of society, I'm going to question the messenger and the message. I don't know, because, you know, you saw the, the, the circle of women seeing the message and... I, I just, it seems like the message is overpowering. You know, you literally want them like, you know, smashed her head to pieces. Another one shot, her, shot herself in the temple. This is true. And we do know from um, Ramda, who is the aunt of Narasek and Emoy boyfriend, that she went to the Borg vessel, and because of the grief of the message, it frits the Borg, if you will. It caused them to go offline. So there is some power to the message. But it seemed the way it was delivered to Jurati, it seemed like uh, was killing Bruce Maddox an answer? Because if killing Bruce Maddox was the answer to stop further development, if you will, then the answer also is killing yourself. Which is something Gerardi was com contemplating was, you know, I've been wanting to kill myself for a while now. So I I don't know. I, I don't know about that, but it does still kind of need to be addressed because the look of Akar's face when he confronted Gerardi because he didn't quite believe Rafi that she was a, a double agent and hearing that stuff and hearing it from her, he was like, wow, girl, I thought you loved this man. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious about the signal itself because, you know, the synths themselves were able to, un there was a layer under that that had the message for them. And so I think a part of it is that that signal is just so densely layered that, um, that it does drive people crazy. Like it's more data than a human being can, or um, than an organic can process, organic brain can process. True. And I also wonder if it's kind of like an inner light type of thing where you might actually live the message for the organics, at least. That that would be interesting. I would like to see more of the message. And we saw this explain why all the Romans who went through it, a lot of them went insane. It also explains that the fact that maybe only women can endure it. Because there are no men there. And so and it seems like they stated that when their ancestors who were women found this message, um, that's what created them. So there's there's a lot of mythology that could be carried out into season two that's very interesting. But you're right. The message did cause those women to go crazy. Only Nisik seems to have survived it completely. 
Uh, Commander O was there and uh, Rondo. She survived, but she was, you know, insane. Can you just say that that whole scene where they went through that transmission, that was brutal? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a lot. Yeah, I, I had to turn my head away quite a few times. Like, oh my gosh, he's about to smash her head and Nope, can't watch this. Nope, 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 I'm good. Yeah, I, yeah. What got me was was the tearing of the face. Because I don't know if you all ever saw that the movie Bug. Okay, it's it's a horror film. It has to kind of do with meth, really. It just people's psychosis and stuff like that. But that's that moment reminded me of that entire movie, and it's yeah, it's ugh. But that was yeah. The, the, I think they can build off of like there's a lot of stuff that towards the end of the season that they can build off of that uh, is so very Star Trekky and so intriguing for season two. It makes me want to look forward to season two when it drops. Um, but let's talk about seven of nine a little bit and the the XBs in the Borg. And her, one, coming to the rescue, but two, like, transforming herself, I guess, into kind of a queen. And then trying to make the decision, do I enslave these people again, even if it's not to the actual collective? Yeah, that was scary. I didn't, because I, I thought she was going to lose herself. Which would have made it, all the work she had gone through would have gone for naught. I thought she was going to lose herself as well. I thought it was very interesting that um, as a character from Star Trek Voyager, she would always say, I'm Borg. And now she's saying, we are Borg. That transformation. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she... I'm not sure if she chose to disconnect or if some aspect of the collective allowed her to disconnect. Because it she spoke in the third person saying that Annika Hansen mm-hmm. still has work to do. And that really freaked me out because it made me wonder like, oh God, can she still Yeah, and I mean it's board? there's a lot of ways to interpret that. So like, is the Borg saying that she has something to do? Does the Borg have something planned or this collective have something planned? Or was she trying to speak outside of the Borg? So she's t- she's informing the Borg that she has work to do, that she doesn't want this, and the the collective is referring to it in the third person. There's just a like you can go kind of, at least I could go kind of batty trying to interpret that. I'm going to lean towards the letter because it is clear that she didn't want to do this in the first place, and doing it saved their lives, but you know it also jeopardized who she had become. So. Her saying to me in my own little walked head canon, her saying that was a message to the to that cubes collective, like, nope, I'm not this is not long term. I got stuff I gotta do. So this is a short term thing and that's it. Yeah, and I never I actually never thought that she would lose herself and I think it's because so I've been going through and rewatching Voyager because you know, Rona. Um and she had an encounter with a board queen where she learned about her own parents. And I kept thinking maybe it was just because I had just seen that episode. 
um, when I watched that episode of Picard, and I was thinking, you know, she's had an, an, an encounter with a board queen that didn't go quite right, and I think a part of her doesn't want to become that. Yeah, uh, I, I remember that episode. I, I'm also doing, because of Rona, a, a Voyager rewatch. Um, you're right, she, she didn't want to become part of the collective again. There is also some strangeness with the board queen emphasis on Seven mm-hmm. and I'm saying that she's special, which makes me think, and I always thought this even before Star Trek Picard, that maybe uh, because the collective is kind of like they like insects and they have a queen and you're supposed to have like queen drones, if you will, that maybe Seven and I could be a, a queen drone if the board needed to have her as one. Or maybe they, um, as the board queen was trying to do different ways to assimilate different species, maybe they were trying to use a different technique where whether Seven and Nine knows it or not, that she was going to be like an infiltrator and just go mad and assimilate humans. But I, I just felt very sad for her character. And she even talked about it with Elnor, which is the weirdest pairing on the show. But I like it. I like it though. <laughs> of this like, it's, it's super cute. And I guess it the way she treats them is kind of like fills the void that each ship once had. Like she's trying to protect them, and she like she hugged him when he like she she came and rescued him. He was like, "Oh, thank God you're here, mommy." <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, I'm here. Okay, like what's going on?" And I also like the fact in that scene, like you know that Hugh and Seven and Nine have a relationship because it was Hugh's calling card that Elnor used to call mm-hmm. up Seven and Nine. So I, I hope they explore that a little bit more, but it makes sense that the two of them would, in essence, know one another. But I, she talked about how, like, because Eleanor was saying, like, when they were on the planet, when they crashed on the planet, that, you know, what are the XBs going to do? They have no home. They have no life. You know, this, this is it. Why don't they end their existence? And Seven was like, you know, yeah, why don't I take a phaser to my head and, and end it? You know, I'm an XB. I don't have a home. I don't really have a purpose. And Eleanor was like, well, I'm going to miss you. Which speaks to the whole, you know, because he knows Seven, you know, she should still exist, but these XBs kind of thing. I thought that was a nice little moment. But there's like a deep sadness within Seven. And it's kind of always been mm-hmm. there, but it's now just more pronounced. And I just want to know, like, what... We kind of know what happened with some things, like, but what shifted to where she kind of disconnected with Starfleet in the Federation? Like, there had to have been a mm-hmm. moment that occurred besides the whole um, them abandoning the Romulans. Like, I can understand why she ethically, because she's always been one of those people that, like, we need to do the right thing in the right way, no matter what. So she would have been, like, still, like, with Rafi, still trying to trying to figure out a way to save the Romulans. Like, abandoning them was not a... Not well, it, should be done. <clears throat> well, I mean, quite. I mean, it's probably in the combination of the Romulans and the band on synthetics. I mean, because she's still not quite human. No, she's not. And the fact that she was able to connect directly into the, to the Borg cube so easily... And the fact, just like Hugh, while she's never been in that Borg Queen cell before, she knew about it, like, internally in her head. 
which makes me wonder, like, what stuff does Picard know? Because he said, oh, this happened after you got assimilated. But Picard still knew it was a poor queen song. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that before. Like, um, uh, what was the one first contact when Picard knew exactly where to hit that that, uh, Borg cube? Right. Yeah. So he probably still he he. Uh, I'm assuming that once you're assimilated, you get all that stuff downloaded into your brain. So you know what you is and it's always there. It's never you know it's never gonna leave. So you're you're stuck with it pretty much. Even stuff that is supposed to have been quote unquote secretive, you know it because. You're you're part of you, you are permanently part of the collective. Whether you, even if you get out, you still have some some memories of it. Yeah, and the, the the collective, like he said when he was coming to the cube and talking to Hugh, says the collective never forgets. And we saw that again when he was on the planet, of uh, the synth planet, and went to go check out the Borg cube that crashed into into the planet, like. Mm-hmm. They called him Acutus. They knew instantly, and it was the same. I I, I watched it again. It was the same uh, Borg drone before they called him Acutus. Like so, he hasn't been forgotten, and it scared. It terrified him. Yeah, hey, he was ready to go. Yeah, he was ready to go. He was like, I I want to do the right thing. But I'm not going upstairs to check out that noise. <laughs> so, God, there was so much that's happened. Um, so the the board tried to help. You know, seven and nine. She saw what was going on with um, the snakehead, which was uh, Narek, uh, emo boyfriend tracking Jarati, uh, Rafi, and um, Rios. And let's talk a little bit about Rios and his connection to the synth. Do you think that was just a little too neat or? I mean, it was well acted. No, I thought it worked. I mean, you know, there's a certain part of, like, contrivances are a necessary part of a story. It didn't seem like it was over the top for me. Yeah, I think it worked out. Well, I mean, contrived maybe a little bit, probably, but you know, like Paris said, it was well acted. So I'm able to forgive a lot as long as the acting is good. Um, I kind of like the whole like Ralphie and the holograms. <laughs> um, I was joking on Twitter about that, like her way that she was trying to figure out a breakdown and trying to figure out what was happening with Rios and just talking to each of the different holograms and how they were like fragment of his personality and trying to piece together everything. And everything finally like kind of coalescing together to where they have the, uh, yeah, that was a fun scene with, um, with each of the different personalities trying to, basically playing off of himself and serving as a foil to, to Rafi. That was mm-hmm. that was fun. A lot. A lot of fun. Yeah. 
And I'll, uh, what's the guy, uh, who's, what's the actor's name that plays, um, Rios? Um, um, I know I can look it up. Um, right here on the page. Oh, Santiago Cabrera. Yeah. Well, he played. Yeah. Um, I, I just kept it. I kept memory alpha open because why not? Um, but yeah, that was very well done by him. No, same person, different little uh, quirks for each hologram. Yeah, uh, he. I've loved him since Heroes, so I'm so happy. Yeah, he was the. Oh, oh okay, I remember now. The painter. God, that was so long ago. The sexy painter that always had his shirt off. I'll take your word on on the sexy part, but sure. <laughs> Yes, he played Isaac Mendez. That was the name of his character. Okay, yeah, I remember him now. Yeah, uh, but he's always been a great actor, and I, I really enjoyed like the different dynamics of the hologram personalities, and they all adore Rafi, which means Rios adores Rafi, and they have like a very unique fun bond. Like when they were trying to use the doodad that they got from the Sims to repair the the ship, she's like, "I can do it. I have great imagination," and he was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa girl." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got imagination, but I want my ship to be in one piece. <laughs> but um yeah, it just like let's talk about Rafi. Like Rafi was right. Yep. She absolutely absolutely was. And everyone needs to give her apology flowers, apology speeches, uh I don't know, whatever her favorite booze, if she's still drinking again, to her. Because not only was she right that the Romulans did it, but she was right about it being a Starfleet conspiracy. And, yeah, I mean, she was right. And her entire existence got blown up because of it. I mean, you know, this... This is real life, man. You gotta listen to black women. This is true. Pretty much. If they listened to her way back when, maybe they wouldn't be having some of these problems. But that's not what happened. And, yeah, so it would be interesting to see how that character goes forward to be, you know, maybe she was right, but she can't tell anybody she was right. That would be messed up. I don't want to see. Yeah, see, I, I, I want her to be sort of an asshole about it. Oh, she, she's total asshole. Like when she was saying to Picard, like, uh, we think that Gerardi um, killed Bruce Maddox, and he was like, we, and she, she like went and showed him the hologram. The hologram was like, yeah, I got deactivated. You know, he was perfectly fine, but somebody turned the things off, and. He's saying that she's in this coma. She took this thing that stopped the tractor. And Rafi was like, you know, facts. And then when Dr. Gerardi, like, confessed to killing Bruce Maddox, she, she's like, yeah, I want to go rub it in, Raph, in, in uh, Rio's face. Because maybe he would enjoy, or at least I would enjoy rubbing in his face that I was right about this chick being, you know, not, shouldn't be on this, you know, ship. So I can mm-hmm. totally see her rub it into people's faces and ha, 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 and then. And stuff, and rightfully so, because she was completely right. 
Um, is there anything else we would like to talk about? Or maybe we covered quite a bit about what happened in this these last four episodes. Yeah, I mean that was just there was just so much going on. And I think a lot of it, you know, when we get to season two, you know, we're going to be unpacking these last few episodes, you know, even then. It's just, there's, there's, there's just a lot going on. It's a really busy back end of the season. It was very busy back end. We got Soji, like, coming to realizing, like, okay, let's talk about Soji. With coming down to the synth world and seeing her opposite, if you will, uh, Janice is Jana the name of the, the evil synth that looks like her, but it's golden. No, um, I think it was Sutra. Sutra. Jana was the one that Rios met. That was the name of the synth, and Sutra and her like she screamed villain <laughs> to me when I saw her, mm-hmm. and her manipulation of not only her basically her family but Soji to um, activate the message she's like you know she talked to dr jirabi she's like you know i i have been studying the volcanoes let me mind meld you and get the message and then her telling the sense the message and her telling them that you know the organics never liked us they're coming here to kill us the romulans are going to come here to kill us and soji wants us to leave but we should call for this help that's why they're there and they will protect us. And her killing the, um, um, I forgot what the name of the synth that she killed so that Nera can get out. Saga. Saga. Like, ugh. Just evil, evil, evil. And Soji just kind of going along with it because, like Picard said, it was fear. Like, they want to live, but, you know, she has every reason to feel, fear the Robins. They, they killed their sister, Dodge. Um, they tried to kill her. They're coming here with like a 200, 300 some odd ships to kill all her family. So yeah, why not call call up these Uber shifts and have them save them? And shout out to Lisa Briones for playing three completely different characters in the series. Yeah, they all had yeah. very different mannerisms, different ways they walked and spoke. Yeah. Because uh, Sutra looked menacing from the word go. Dodge looked innocent from the word go. And Soji, Soji just was a whole different person altogether. The hot mess. <laughs> and as we got to know her, we understood why she was a little bit of a hot mess. Because she didn't know all her memories. She didn't know who she really was. And... As she progressed and started to remember things, you know, her personality shifted a little bit, but yeah, uh, she was still kind of like, kind of naive, very naive, very Bambi-ish, if you will. And she was only, what, three months old? Three years old. Three years old, sorry, three years old. Yeah, so she can be more forgiven for that. Which again, I have to say, this is the ghost of Blade Runner presenting itself in yet another show. What do you mean by that? So the 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 whole idea behind the um the Nexus uh what was it Nexus Eight replicants was that in order to give them to in order to prevent them from from basically going crazy, um they implanted them with memories. Oh yes. So that they would feel like they were actually human beings. Mm-hmm. 
or actually no to make them more because the, the 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 slogan for uh the next corporation was more real than real and so to make the replicants more human-like they implanted them with memories yes i remember that i remember that storyline yes yeah and that's what bruce maddox did to both dodge and soji to make them more human-like and be infiltrators into the board cube and on earth to the daystum institution to figure out why the simps were banned and yeah so that's the whole reason behind the void comp test in in blade runner where the the infiltrators they had they had to give them like hundreds and hundreds of questions because they had memories to build off of and so it was it was when you were asking these questions that evoked a an emotional response the replicants were passing the exam so you had to keep asking them questions because you knew they were a replicant but they were passing the exams so um again i will never argue with anybody that blade runner is a hot fucking mess of a movie um and the sequel is even worse but um it it is it is such an influential movie i mean it, it anything that has anything to do with robots they've they've taken something from blade runner they have and i until you said it i didn't realize that yes that is from blade runner the implanted memories that she had of her her childhood if you will to make her mm-hmm. seem more real more human and the mother ai if you will mm-hmm. so yes which makes me wonder oh no she probably did have interactions with her sister those memories were probably real but different mm-hmm. but yeah from jump that that other synth, like i was like oh you're the villain in all of this um but it was interesting that they all i guess still have an off button so maddox and dr soon are not completely crazy if you will but then it, mm-hmm. it, but it then begs the question about you know can they be fully autonomous can they be fully people if they have an off button that anyone can off. But again, that goes, that's, that's Blade Runner again. So like the, the, the idea that the robots in order to keep them controlled, they had an incept date and they didn't know what that date was. And so when Roy Batty comes back to earth, he asked his creator for more life. And the creator was like, I can't do that. You were built with an off switch. You were like, you have an expiration date. Yeah. Which also, again, the other thing was, I only qualm was like maybe these synths are not as well built as data, because I was wondering why they couldn't repair. Um, I forgot the the the, the synth that died because they were he was uh, was transferring her conscience, I guess, to the the to the database. I was wondering, well, why can't she fix her? She was just stabbing the eyeball. But maybe they built these scents to be like the golem to have it in life. Possible. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, why do you have an off button? But then again, maybe they're just not that crazy. And maybe that'll come to bite them in the ass. Oh, I think the, her, her homegirl, Sintra, she she's plotting. Mm-hmm. We're going to turn her back on and she's going to be plotting. Hopefully they will turn her back on, but you know this is a, a soon we're talking about here, so it is quite possible that she will be back. Yeah, it's also a television show, so of course we're going to see her again. 
Of course they're going to turn her back on. <laughs> yeah. Because um, the message beacon was kind of still there. I mean, even if they destroyed that beacon, the ability to build it again hasn't been destroyed. Uh, so that that girl is going to be plotting, and I think she's going to seek vengeance on everybody, uh, which would be interesting. It would be interesting to see uh, Isabella play against herself, because I, no doubt she's going to want to kill Soji too. So, um, but yeah. Um, so we talked about Soji. We talked about Rios. We talked about Rafi being right. Talked about Giotti. Um, Picard. Do you guys have any issues about Picard being in the Golem? Like, do you think he's still Picard or different? Like, was it like soul transfer? No, I think he, I think it was a soul transfer. I think he's still Picard. I think, um, yeah, it's. A different body, but the same person with a shelf life. So, yeah, it, it, I think it's still him. I don't have an answer for that question, and I think that's a good thing. I don't have an answer for that question either, because we only given a little bit of it of him sitting there at the table with Soji, and Soji saying, "Yes, you're real," uh, with Jirati, and so assuring him that his body doesn't have superior strength. Um, he is, he's going to die. He's just going to die the normal time that he would have died. That is dying at 97 from the brain thing. He'll live to, I don't know, however long humans live now in the, in the 24th century. I think they said they gave him another 10 years and he was like 94 when he died, I think. So he, he's here until 104. And I mean, so just thinking about Star Trek mythology, like if you were, if we were able to remove Spock's immortal soul and put it into another Spock body, it, it, you know, it, it, and that's like Vulcan mysticism. And, you know, mysticism is always, you know, technology that we just don't understand. And so, I mean, it's quite possible that, like, they scientifically found a way to remove someone's immortal soul and put it into a machine, which again brings up some really interesting ethical questions. So, like any way they go with this, it's just it's juicy. It's really it's really juicy. Yeah, like are they gonna do like what they've been doing with the XBs and are they gonna start creating synth bodies because you now can live longer? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, think about it in the sense of individuals that might not be like completely able-bodied. Like we saw that in somewhat in Star Trek Discovery uh, with uh, what's her name? Miriam. Yes. Where she was part like because of the shuttle accident. So she was part machine, part organic in a sense. But now you can have like a fully kind of organic synthesized body. So you get in a bad, like think of Captain Pike. He was in a that bad accident. Now he can be his conscience can be transferred into a humanish body, if you will. So there's that positive aspect, but I can also think of the evil aspect where people are jumping from body to body with their consciousness, which is kind of like alter carbon. Alter carbon. Mm-hmm. And try to live forever. And then you have a bunch of myths, which is part of alter carbon, where there's these people that do kind of sort of live to 
forever because they have the money and the means to do so. And then what does that mean for for the concept of, of being a sentient being? You know, you're asking that question about the Sims, but now you have to ask that question about yourself. Yes. And like, again, am I real? Am I real? And it goes back to the whole butterfly thing. If a butterfly lives forever, is it really a butterfly? And we've seen very long-lived species in Star Trek, but they at some point seem to end. Like, you, we know that Gaiden lives for a very long time. We know the Q are capable of dying. They just choose not to. And, then, um, um, and then when you talk about swapping bodies, you, there's the trill. There's the trill, yes. The trill in essence. And they even have, like, very hardened rules about it. When they change bodies, you have to disconnect from that previous life. You can't go back and be still the mother to those children you had. Are still the lover or, or whatever to that relationships you had. You have to end them. And there's rules prohibiting all that stuff. And it gets very messy. Uh, but in essence, the whole point of the symbiosis is like they live all these different lives and all that different knowledge. Which ties into a, a little bit about uh, Star Trek Discovery from the season three preview. We know that trails are there. And so, oh, yeah, have, this is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Discovery, um, the, this whole season of Picard built off of Discovery. I mean, it's just, you know, the villain of the, of the last season of Discovery was an AI. So I need, I think, because I've heard a lot of people talk shit about Discovery, but then talk, you know, talk great about Picard. And I'm like, yeah, but you do realize that those two stories are somewhat interconnected. And I suspect that the third season is going to be interconnected, too. Yeah, and we're going to see it when it does come out. Uh, we're going to see that interconnection. And you're right, the villain for the last part of this was basically a different form of AI. Uh, these Uber AIs, if you will, and then the message in reconciling that. Because, you know, towards the end of the season two was taking out control. Because control wanted to, at some future point, was going to attempt to end all existence. Mm -hmm. I know, like these Uber AIs were going to kind of do. Which begs the question, where Section 31? Yeah, they were kind of missing here. I don't mind that they were missing because they were so heavy in, in Discovery. But I, I think they're probably going to have to make an appearance. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, this is juicy. Especially, especially since they're still considering a Section 31 show. Oh, yeah. And the fact that Section 31, uh, we know from Deep Space Nine and a little bit from Star Trek Discovery, is that their whole mission, even from Enterprise, their whole mission, like, I mean, Section 31 existed before the Federation. Their whole mission is to preserve human existence. Uh-huh. And then eventually just Federation existence which at it, all costs. Which, again, is a mass effect. With Cer uh, Cerberus. Oh, the Spectres. Yes. Mm -mm, Cerberus. You, uh, you, Cerberus? Haven't, you haven't gotten to the second game yet. Uh, okay. Oh, oh, but, I wish but, I could but, talk but, about this. <laughs> the second game is going to basically blow the doors off of all of this, and it will all make sense what, we're, what um, passion I have been talking about. Okay. Well, maybe we have to come back and once I finish, maybe the first one. I am 100% game. I am 100% okay. game. 
Yeah, yeah, we could do a Mass Effect. Oh, yeah, we could do a Mass Effect uh, uh, podcast. Damn, y'all gonna make me play this again. Go for it, have fun. <laughs> no, because like... I mean, we got nothing but time. <laughs> the gift of Rona <laughs> Rona allowed me to actually play the Mass Effect game. Because I, I didn't play it when it was out. You know, I wasn't that much into that, that game. Um, I played other ones like Mafia and the really uber violent ones, but I was like massive, like, eh. but I watched other people play it and, and I saw how they enjoyed it and the, the, the storylines and stuff. But now that I have the I time, I put an to embarrassing out, number of hours into those games. <laughs> hey, I, I got the time. I mean, I'm working from home. I got people all around me. I have the time. Like I have little like yard work stuff to do and other things, but I, I have the time now to, be able to do this and so i'm just gonna do it and it'll be interesting to see for me personally knowing some things like about how decisions matter how that affects my gameplay versus people that played it before they do that yeah but Cerberus. so you'll see Cerberus. they'll talk about it you'll see Cerberus um installations in mass effect one but it's sort of something that's whispered once you get to Mass Effect 2, it, Cerberus will make sense to you. Okay. So as you get was- through, you'll see, you know, like if you explore planets, you'll see Cerberus in it, uh, installations. They're always doing some weird tech stuff, but it, it yeah, it all comes together. And that's all we can say about that for now. I have to say this. I kind of like um, the fact that because Star Trek as a whole has influenced so much different styles of sci-fi writing from books to comic books to movies, many aspects to even like real world stuff. I mean, we talked about how like we all have pads and view screen because of Star Trek that now Star Trek is taking different aspects of the things that they inspired or help at least have room to exist. And incorporated it into Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a nice circle. And yes. It, and it gives Star Trek new life. It allows Star Trek to be part of, you know, the new style of writing, uh, the way people are viewing shows now, what they expect from their sci-fi, where they don't want it to be completely spelled out. They're like, you can, you can, you know, allow me to find the clues. And I made this season very enjoyable. It makes me super excited, not only for the second season, but for uh, when Discovery drops. Yeah, I mean, so what drew me to Mass Effect was that it was it was basically a darker, somewhat more fatalistic version of Star Trek. Um, and at the time, you know, because the world wasn't, wasn't as shitty as it is now, you know, you kind of had a threshold for that kind of thing. Um, but I kind of liked the tone of it. It was Star Trek without the like boundless optimism of Star Trek. Um, but, y- you know, to see, and, and I started noticing this with Discovery, y- you know, that start, yeah, I, I enjoy this little feedback loop that's happening. Um, and I'd be, I haven't been on Twitter very oh, much, so I haven't been able, I haven't heard a whole lot of the, the peanut gallery from Twitter. You know, anyone who, who is saying, oh, Picard is just a ripoff of Mass Effect and is not, like, completely joking about it. I just, like, you don't need to talk to me. Because this is great. This is what I want. 
I don't really know people online. online. I don't know where you see those people from. <laughs> I'm just I, saying I, I know how Twitter behaves. Yeah, I, I I've seen the conversations, but the I I have my Twitter feed to the to the point where a lot of that gets kicked out. But the conversations I've seen is the kind that we've been having, where we're like, "Oh my God, have you played this game, Mass Effect? If you have, when you're watching Star Trek Picard, a lot of those elements are part of Picard, and they're thinking it's really great that this game that they played, you know, in high school and college or as a kid, has influenced the mm-hmm. show." It's respect, you know. It's respect, yeah. Game, game rep- recognize game, and I love it. I love, I love that. Now we're in a place. Like again, I keep saying this: what a time to be alive. We're in a place now where we are seeing different franchises like talk to have conversations with one another, and it's beautiful to me. And not only that, but still retain the essence of their their beat. Really, I mean, this is still even though there's Mass Effect elements and there's like Blade Runner, and you can see all these different like other sci-fi influences on this season. Um, it's still very Star Trek. There's still optimism. Like when Picard gave that speech to Soji about you know not doing this and about they because they had an earlier conversation about sacrifice, and Picard was like, "Well, yeah, it's easy to talk about sacrifice." depending on if you're holding the knife or not. And his willingness while addressing that issue with Soji by saying, you know, as he told Durati, the reason these, these sins are kind of like children is, you know, they weren't raised very well, but he's going to demonstrate what children need was a good example by sacrificing himself to the, to the sense by putting himself in front of the Romans. And then when the Federation showed up, explaining to Soji, if the Federation really wanted to annihilate them, if all organics were this evil, then they would have been teaming up with, you know, tag teaming them, WWE style, and taking them out. But that's not what's happening. And I guess you could say it took him actually dying for Soji to realize that and for her to turn off the message and prevent the Ubersense from coming over. So there was that that optimism, if you will, is still part of Star Trek. Yeah, and I think that's beautiful. And again, like I said, a lot of these, con- they're having conversations with one another, and I love it. Like, I know people, you know, it's, it's just, people love to piss on Star Wars. And in, in the next five years, we're going to start to see the Star Trekification of Star Wars. I guarantee it. It's, it's kind of already happening mm-hmm. with the Mandalorian. I mean, I know they have a season two that they're doing. I know they have a couple other projects that there's what one they announced but i think they might have pulled it back a little bit was like they're going to go to like the deep old republic of jedi yeah the high republic and then they have all these yeah all these different cartoons they're coming like you're going to see a deepening of the universe where it kind of gets away from the star the skywalker saga and and into the broader star wars world and it's not about the monomyth anymore which is the other thing that i that this is what i hated about the reaction to mass effect 3 because everybody thought that this was a monomyth and shepherd was the hero it was shepherd's hero story it's not and I, that's not even a spoiler because i think you 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 know you playing the game you know there's there's a component of the game that's that's coalition building that's team building that happens throughout the entire franchise and so when people got upset because you know shepherd doesn't 
his story is not the traditional hero myth that the focus was more on the team dynamic and how you solve this as a collective and not just you coming in with guns blazing and say and solving everything yourself it's like have you been paying attention to the game and the th- same thing yeah. is happening with star wars it's not about the white blonde haired blue eyed guy who goes in with a lightsaber and saves the day it's about a group hmm? like i said thank god for that no, the blonde hair, blue eyed white guy with the laser sword standing up against the entire empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't need those stories anymore. And I'm, I'm so glad Wait, we've outgrown the model. Yeah, and I've been, I've been screaming this on Twitter for years. Our problems are global, right? And you know, the hero's journey only works for a, a certain amount of time, and now that time has passed, and now it's more like a plurality instead of just a singular. Right, and that's the beautiful thing about Mass Effect. It's always been the beautiful thing about Star Trek. Um, even though, you know, for the longest time there was this preoccupation with Kirk. Um, but it's always been about the dynamics of a team. And yeah, how it's, the team... It's about the... Go ahead, I'm sorry. It is about the polarity, and we saw that with Star Trek Picard, because it it's kind of started out with Picard being like kind of like the single guy out there, I gotta go find this girl kind of a deal, which is kind of like the monolith, and then he starts building this team, and then there was like that switch up, where it became a, a bigger thing, you know, Bruce Maddox dies, there's this whole thing with Soji finding her on the Romulans and this kind of conspiracy kind of deal going on and him relying on this team that he was building and everyone having a stake in it from Rafi, like proving about the whole Sith stuff to we find out with Rios, you know, with his interaction and what happened to him on that, on that ship where his captain got these orders to say, kill these two. And then he ended up killing himself. And then he having, and, you know, Rio's having to cover that up and eventually leaving Starfleet, how that trauma ties to him. Uh, them all having a stake, if you will, to try to make this work, to try to all of them collectively try to save the day, if you will, save everyone. And it is, it, and it, it became like the, 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 the subtext became text when he meets Riker and Troy and you're sitting there watching this conversation and even though the name of the show is Picard Picard is being told this is not about you yeah Deanna like I said she read in for felt this is not about you do you even know what she went through and she started listing in on the stuff of the trauma that she experienced and basically calling Picard an asshole for being like this the guff commander thing is like that's not what she needs dude she needs you to acknowledge her trauma she needs you to accept her for who she is and help her be the person that we remember you being where you actually were empathetic and curious and and you know sympathize with the the person before you and it was a message to the audience it was a message to the audience yeah this picard is not the picard you remember but it's not about him. It's bigger than that. Even, even though the show is called Star Trek Picard. And then that's what made this show very enjoyable. Because 
everyone had a story, everyone intertwined, everyone was pretty equal within the storytelling. It fit very much together um, towards the end there. Um, there's a little qualms here and there, but that's fine. You know, we chalk it up to, I, I still think this is probably the best first season of a Star Trek show, even though I'm kind of debating between Star Trek Discovery because I still like the first season of that one. But hey, they're building up to stuff. The first two of, of any Star Trek seasons kind of suck. If you've been rewatching Voyager, you, you kind of feel the pain there. Oh God, <laughs> yes. It doesn't. It really does not get exi- exciting until uh, until um, Seven of Nine shows up. Yes, towards the end of season three, beginning of season four. Yeah, um, yeah. But that was for everyone. Like, it's like when the board two parter happened. When uh, Worf shows up on Deep Space Nine, and we start going into the Dominion storyline very heavy, which is the end of season three. Um, yes, uh, Enterprise when they went and started dealing with the kind of the background of the Romulans and the Vulcans, and started slowly building this coalition that they were building all along with Andorians and the Vulcans and and the Tellarites, and slowly building to the Federation. Unfortunately, they weren't able to finish that storyline, but. Season four was flames. Uh, season three, a little mixed, but it was getting there. See, I've never watched um, Enterprise, and I need to prioritize that since the Rona. So, yeah, I'll I started that. it, but I haven't really picked back up on it because I don't know. Well, no, I just didn't. Um, but I am going to. I think I am going to get on that as soon as I finish Voyager. Why not? What, what the hell else am I doing? And the only things about the rewatch, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit in the chat, was like Star Trek Voyager has like 26 episodes. Oh my God, <laughs> yes. And it's like, yo, you could have consolidated. You could you could have halved that easily because there's a lot of nothing and, going on. Yeah, and Enterprise has, I think, 22. It's not as long. Still long enough. But you really, it's still long, yeah. And Picard fit in a great 10 episode arc. You know, um, mm-hmm. Discovery is was like 15 and I think 14. I don't know what season three is going to be, but... It's not going to be 23 or 26 episodes. That's what it's not going to be. Exactly. And I enjoy that because it's, it still allows for the overall story arc, the little individual single episodes, and for it to kind of wrap up. And you're not doing filler. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of keeping it light, you know, 10 to 13 episodes for most shows. That's all I need. Oh, I think we've kind of covered everything for Star Trek Picard. Um, do you guys have any last thoughts before we talk a little bit about the Star Trek Universe news and sign off? No, I'm good. I know I haven't said much, but yeah, yeah. I'm good. Okay, so because of Rona, she's been a very terrible friend to everybody in the world. Um, a lot of things have been shut down. Uh, I think pretty much everyone's seen the news about movie delays and television show delays. So we don't know when Star Trek Season 3 of Discovery is going to drop. It has been completely filmed. Um, from the news that I have read, the, the VFX stuff can be done remotely. 
but there there's going to be delay. It's still supposed to come out this year, but it's not going to be as soon as we thought. Uh, maybe June, July is the rumor, but as uh, soon as, you know, Star Trek Season 3 drops, you know, the whole collective here is going to be be here to review that show. But for now, it's, it's a wait and see, like, when that's going to happen. Uh, there was a preview, which was pretty awesome, of Michael Burnham holding the Federation flag. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, I liked it. I seen the full picture of the promos because they were doing the whole heavy promo for season three before Rona ruined everything. But I, I think they're kind of going for the French Revolution vibe with it. But also, it kind of looks kind of like colonization, like stamping your flag on the moon. So I don't know exactly what's going on, but I I I, I like it because it's just I like the Michael Burnham character. I like Sonique Michael Green, and she, she just looks awesome. Um, this year is Star Trek uh, Voyager's 25th anniversary. They just recently filmed a documentary about Star Trek Voyager. If you've seen the Deep Space Nine one, since we all have the time, it is on Amazon. It's not streaming, but you can rent it. Um, it's a very great documentary about Deep Space Nine. It pretty much has everyone on there except for Avery Brooks, uh, but they do talk about him a lot. And it's an opportunity to see some actors that had passed away, uh, talk about the, the craft and the things that they loved. And it's just a great documentary overall. Same people that did that documentary are doing Star Trek Voyager. Um, the other bit of news is that uh, Star Trek Online um, has a some different downloads that they're dropping. One of them is First Contact Day, which is April 5th, um, which is the day we're recording this. So if you're into Star Trek Online or you have some time, uh, it's also on console, Xbox One and PS4. You can actually protect first contact and be on earth and play along with 709 and Michael Burnham. There's all these different stuff going on with that particular. And if you don't have the time for a long drawn out mission like that, they do have a little mini game type thing where you go to Bozeman, Montana and build your own model Cochrane ship and you get to compete with, I think four other, four other players to see which one flies the furthest. Um, no matter what happens, you're going to get some fleet rewards for that. So, you know, it's just a little fun little thing to do. It takes about maybe 15 minutes at the most. And I think that's pretty much it for the Star Trek Universe news. Um, like I said, because of Rhoda, there's not really much going on at the moment. Everything's waiting to hold and see. But uh, you might hear from us. There might be a Mass Effect uh, podcast. And who knows, maybe a Star Trek Voyager Nostalgia podcast. But uh, that's it for now for the Disco Crew. Um, it's been very enjoyable, guys. I really enjoyed talking about this, with, about the card with you guys. I can't wait to talk about Discovery and Mass Effect again. But uh, until next time, um, I'm Hiroja Shai with the NPR Network. Peace, y'all. Take it easy.